Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Amateur All Tours. This week, we're going to be talking about something much different than we have in the past. Instead of a film, we will talk about a miniseries, and not just any miniseries. What's awesome about this is that it's accessible to every single person listening to the show right now. No subscription or sign-up is necessary. And I bet you're asking yourself, how can this be? What's the catch? Well, what's awesome is that you can watch this because the series is exclusively available on video platform YouTube. So yes, everyone, the great and amazing site of YouTube, and I absolutely love this site for the content that is available. I'm a frequent user of the site, as really is anyone in the modern age, but I feel like people really don't understand the potential of the site. Some of my favorite series have gotten their start on YouTube and continue to exist solely on that platform. It's also important to note that the shows I watch range in content and quality, from history buffs to Rooster Teeth and Tribe 12 to film theory. There's so much free content to enjoy. So before we begin, for those that haven't really explored the site, I recommend giving it out a, giving it a try. And you could even stop by a particular channel. You know, it's a small little channel that doesn't get much traffic. It goes by the name of Amateur All Tours. Yeah, it's a, it's a little it sounds pretty catchy. Guys, I'm sorry for that blatant plug, but in all seriousness, the platform of YouTube and the content available can be quite astonishing. YouTube in its heyday was the place for content creators to create their work and share it with the world. Some of the most exceptional, inspiring work that I've seen personally has been spawned from YouTube, which brings me to the topic at hand today. Don't hug me, I'm scared. For those who have never heard of the series, and I honestly wouldn't blame you if you haven't heard of it, it focuses on three anthropomorphic characters who, le who learn a simple concept of everyday life in each episode. The episode is typically accompanied with an upbeat melody similar to that of childhood TV shows such as Sesame Street or Barney. However, as each episode goes on, it becomes pretty clear that the moral or message is self-contradicting and confusing, and that the so-called teacher characters have ulterior motives. The ending of each episode almost always involves some sort of shock element by utilizing violence, crazy imagery, and it also reinforces coercive or warped themes. So before we go on, I want to warn everyone that I am going to spoil the show. So anyone that hasn't seen the show, I fully recommend you stop this review and watch it right now. There are only six episodes. They range from three to eight minutes. And overall, it only takes around 35 minutes to watch the entirety of the show. I really think it's a fascinating journey if you have an open mind. And a word of advice for those watching for the first time, I think it would help the experience if you went in to watching the show thinking that David Lynch directed the series, j just kind of so you know what to expect. And yeah, we're on that level of strain. So just a fair warning before we really get into the review. So before I delve into the themes and a possible theory of explanation, let's have a brief episode-by-episode -episode description and summary. Because throughout this review, I'm going to be referencing the episodes at will and seemingly random. But I'll try and keep these as brief as I can, so let's get started. So episode 1, Creativity, this premiered on July 29th, 2011. So episode 1 starts the series in a kitchen, where we find the three main cast sitting around the table. 
A sketchbook then comes to life and begins to teach the main characters how to quote-unquote get creative through song. The song starts innocently enough, but things start to seem a little bit odd when Yellow Guy, his ideas are judged to be non-creative on a purely arbitrary basis, such as green not being a creative color or his picture of a clown is not creative. The episode suddenly takes a dark turn when all the characters begin to quote-unquote get creative. Visions of deformed versions of the characters begin to flash on screen. A cake made of intestine and blood is featured, as well as arts and crafts involving a human heart. The words get creative are scattered throughout the episode, and it's quite jarring when paired with the frantic editing and disillusionment of the video. The episode ends with everything restored to seemingly restored to normal, and the sketchbook tells the puppets in one closing thought to never be creative again. Episode 2, Time. This premiered on January 8th, 2014. The main characters are waiting for their TV show to begin, stating that they only have five minutes before it starts. The very next moment, a talking clock appears and begins to teach the characters about time through song. Much to Red Guy's confusion, the clock superficially gives a simplistic explanation of how time works and what time represents. As the song goes on, and much to the clock's annoyance, the three main characters begin to question the reality of time, as well as ask complicated in-depth questions. It is at this point that the clock literally makes Yellow Guy's ears bleed before accelerating the passage of time, which rapidly ages the cast and causing them to decay alive. Through rapid acceleration, Duck's skin falls off his hand and his eyeballs fall out. Yellow Guy's hair grows, becomes wrinkled, and blood begins to spill out of his eyes and other orifices. And Red Guy's hair grows extremely long and is turned into a collection of sickly gray and red. The camera then pans out to show the events that we have seen being part of a TV show being watched by the three main characters. During this time, the clock is telling telling them that it's all out of his hands, but they'll be fine, although everyone runs out of time. The, the pan gives the appearance that the events that we had seen actually didn't occur. However, the character of Duck's shocked expression implies that the events did indeed happen in real time. This episode also introduces the future character of Yellow Guy's father, Rory. Episode 3, Love. This premiered on October 31st, 2014. So the three main protagonists find themselves at a picnic in the woods. During the chicken lunch, Duck kills a butterfly, or as he calls it, a pesky bee. Yellow Guy, upset by this, climbs a tree to mourn the loss. It is here that he is found by a butterfly, or a baby pigeon as he calls it. The butterfly and his woodland friends sing about different emotions, most specifically love, stating that true love is kept for a person's special one. After a brief depressing story featuring Michael, the loneliest boy in town, the butterfly introduces Yellow Guy to Malcolm, the king of love, and the leader of a cult whom they worship by feeding gravel. The episode takes a sharp and sinister turn when the cult explains the yellow guy that he must lose his memories and name to be indoctrinated into the cult, which will then allow him to be embraced by his special one. The episode ends with yellow guy waking up in a tree and his friends bringing him the last boiled egg, which then promptly hatches, revealing a grotesque creature who calls yellow guy father. The creature is then promptly squashed by the duck, who once again refers to it as a pesky bee. Are you still with me, guys? Because we are halfway there, and yep, I told you, 
it's a weird show. But we're, we're halfway there, so let's get on to episode 4, Technology. This premiered on March 15th, 2015. The episode begins with the protagonist playing a board game. When Red Guy is prompted with a question he doesn't know, the crew express that they want to learn more about the world, and then a globe nearby comes to life. As the globe prepares to sing to them, a talking computer interrupts and begins to sing about how clever he is and how awesome technology is. The computer begins asking the trio seemingly pointless questions, which makes the Red Guy become increasingly annoyed and frustrated. Red Guy eventually yells for the computer to shut up and slams his hand on the keyboard, which enrages the computer and causes him to scream in a uh, shuddering high pitch. Following a black screen of filled with glitches and flashes of the different characters and kind of screaming, the the character of the computer introduces the protagonist to his digital world. This gains the attention of Yellow Guy and Duck, the The computer sings about the main activities of the digital world, which comprise of only three activities, viewing different graphs, digital style, and digital dancing. These are repeated on an endless loop until the world becomes populated with distorted dancing clones of the computer, Yellow Guy, and Duck. Unfazed and disinterested in the computer uh, world, Red Guy finds himself alone in the real world submerged in the dark. Red Guy tries to switch off the computer by following a big red cable, which leads to a way out of the main set. What's interesting is that the escape allows Red Guy to find a film crew wearing spandex suits, apparently filming a crude rendition of the very first episode, Creativity. Red Guy ends the episodes by having his mind literally blown with an explosion. Episode 5, Healthy Eating. This premiered on October 14th, 2015. The episode begins with Red Guy missing, but Duck and Yellow Guy seem to not be able to recognize this, although they are very much aware that something has changed in the set. Various food characters, led by a steak, give increasingly bizarre and self-contradictory advice about eating habits. The song is interrupted abruptly twice by the kitchen telephone ringing, which Duck reluctantly answers but does not know how to respond to what he hears on the line. It is here that Duck begins to hallucinate and see himself on a hospital bed, unsure of how he got there or why. As the episode progresses, Duck becomes progressively more annoyed and angry with the hypocritical and nonsensical advice, and seems to become aware that Red Guy is missing from the the trio. Duck then runs off set, knocking the camera over and exposing the set in which the show takes place. Sometime later, Duck wakes up in an operating room to find himself disemboweled and consumed by a large can. Cut to Yellow Guy continuing the song. He becomes bloated from eating cans of meat labeled with Duck's picture. The episode ends with Yellow Guy looking over at the ringing phone once again, but not answering. During the end credit sequence, Red Guy is seen dressed in a coat and scarf, walking away from a phone booth carrying a suitcase, suggesting that it was he who was calling throughout the episode. So the final episode, episode 6, Dreams, this premiered on June 19th, 2016. The episode begins with Yellow Guy laying in bed, crying because he misses his friends who have suddenly disappeared from the show. As he tries to go to sleep, a lamp begins to sing about the power of dreams. Despite Yellow Guy's protests of switching off the lamp, the lamp literally drags Yellow Guy along for an animated sequence through his mind that ultimately ends with Yellow Guy having a dream about drowning in oil. 
Yellow Guy then abruptly wakes to see the lamp transform his mattress into oil, literally manifesting his nightmare into reality. Meanwhile, with a tonal and stylistic change to the to the series, Red Guy wakes up in an office with multiple identical red people wearing regular clothing. The scene kind of reminds me of the film Office Space, and when Red Guy is asked to file a report, he starts to sing a song about the office file, but his colleagues are not impressed and dismiss him. Later, we cut to an open mic night at a bar where Red Guy gets up and pre- performs a creativity song from the very first episode. Now, this is completely... Or Red Guy is completely quote-unquote nude. Now, I say it in quotes because I'm not sure if he's nude, but he's everyone else is wearing clothes, and he's the only one that's not wearing clothes. He's, he's, he has, he's donning the appearance that he has throughout the entirety of the show. So, throughout this song, Red Guy is then booed by everyone in the crowd, except for Roy, who is sitting and illuminated by a spotlight in the back. The microphone and boombox that are acting as Red Guy's props then turn into teacher puppets, and Red Guy is transported to a dark room, where he can hear the dream song being played. Red Guy follows the sound and finds a machine with monitors showing Yellow Guy being tormented by the current episode of the show. Red Guy begins pressing buttons that transform the lamp into other characters from previous episodes, as well as characters from possible future shows. Now these include sports, the universe, traffic lights, music, and even the office file that Red Guy proposed that his work makes an appearance. As Red Guy seemingly attempts to switch off the show, Roy's massive arm reaches out and taps Red Guy on the shoulder. Red Guy turns away from Roy and promptly disconnects the machine's power, simply stating, I wonder what will happen. The scene cuts to a reshoot of episode 1 with the protagonist recolored to the original favorite colors that they mentioned from the first episode. The calendar that is being prominently displayed from June 19th turns to June 20th. The sketchbook, similar to the original, starts singing the same song from the first installment, but is cut off as the episode ends. And that is the plot of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Now, for those who have not watched the show yet, this almost seems super strange and probably have you thinking, what the hell? And and guys, trust me, you are not wrong in thinking that because when episode six ended and I was watching this show for the first time, I definitely shared similar sentiments about everything that I had watched because I had binged this all in one go. Now, it's important to understand the visuals and the context of the show for the genius of the message to really sink in. So one last time, guys, if you have not seen the series yet, please go watch it before continuing with this episode. I, I, I really don't think you'll be disappointed. So let's get into the show itself and the question that everyone is asking. Just what is Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared about? Well, that's an interesting question that is kind of difficult to answer because the show is so abstract that there are so many avenues of interpretation that someone can go down. So for my research for this episode, I found a website that listed over 19 separate theories that could explain what happened in the show. Now, some of these series include... The series is telling a story of the main character slowly escaping purgatory and into a heaven-like world, or that the series is a hyperbole of a kindergarten classroom, or that all the characters are trapped in a Matrix-like scenario and Red Guy allows them to escape this uh, simulation. Now granted, and this goes for a lot of internet theories, some of, the th- some of these seem really interesting, 
but they start to fall apart when you really start to think about the logic, information, and events presented throughout the show. So, th But there is one theory that I really liked and thought had substance, and it was mentioned a few times throughout these forums and the pages, but the YouTube channel Film Theory that I mentioned earlier that I am a big fan of, they stated it best in their two-part video series. Now, before we begin, this is just an idea and a theory, but and, and the beauty of the show, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, is that this allows for really any interpretation to be correct. It's all up to the viewer. So the theory that I want to focus on in particular is pretty fascinating and a huge component of why I love the series. This, this theory suggests that Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared represents what happens when big corporate business meddles with the affairs of an educational program. So this being said, I think the series is more specifically one giant metaphor representing the struggle between small-time but creative slash innovative artists and the ulterior motives of big business executive producers funding the project. So fair warning, from now on I'm going to be jumping all over the series to give proper explanations. So in context of this theory, the big business producer is the character of Roy, and the creator of the show is in fact Red Guy. Both of these assertions make sense because throughout the show, Roy periodically shows up, directly and indirectly, and Roy's business of food products can be seen littered throughout the show, and this obviously being the form of representing product placement, which, you know, would make sense if he's the sole producer of the show, he's going to be uh, pushing his own products. Now, with Roy being the obvious producer, how can I tell that Red Guy is the creator? And I'm going to get into this a little bit later on, but, well, there are hints throughout the early episodes with Red Guy being the only one who really questions what's going on. But the main hint is that the live action segment in episode 6, we see Red Guy in his own world. And I'm going to get into this in a second. But I'm going to start breaking up my thoughts into the points as per usual. So it's especially important here because I'm going to start really cross-referencing uh, different parts of different episodes. So I, th so I think it's going to help alleviate some potential confusion. So my points are cinematography and why this is a TV show, Red Guy and Roy, their relationship, the corporate involvement and how they distort and corrupt the original message of a show, and the happy ending and the events that lead to this happy ending. And so my last three points are going to kind of be blended into one large point. So let's focus with the cinematography style and why this is a TV show. So Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is extremely difficult to classify because it has so many different unique styles throughout the series run. There are puppets, animated sequences, digital sequences, live action sequences, and musicals. However, Despite all the mashups of styles, the cinematography, as well as blatant visual cues, suggest that the series is in fact a TV show. Let's start with the not-so-obvious. For one, the set pieces of the show look to be those that are typically seen on children's TV shows, you know, such as Sesame Street. Some would say that this goes into the style of the world itself, but there are other visual references that suggest that this is not the case. So, uh, a detail that is a little bit more obvious lies in that the cameras and clapboards that are visually seen throughout the episodes suggesting that the characters are in the middle of a set piece. But some details are a little bit more subtle, like the use of reoccurring props throughout the episodes. Some are more easily seen than others, such as the baseball hat, the missing poster, the June 19th calendar, while some are a little bit more difficult to see, such as the numbers chart, the computer, Roy's product placement, etc. 
Reusing props is a money-saving technique that is still used in modern filmmaking today. It being used on a children's TV show is something that isn't too hard to believe, but now let's shift to the blatant visual cues. These are what helps solidify the idea that Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is in fact a TV show. And like, I think the most blatant clue is when Duck decides that he's had enough of the show and ran pages out of the set. As he is running away, and I mentioned this in the episode description, he knocks off a he knocks a camera off its track, thus tumbling it to the ground. But the audience has a brief glimpse of the soundstage ceiling with artificial lighting and all, and it's here that the fourth wall is broken in a literal and metaphorical way. The moment is the manner in which the filmmakers want to solidify that yes. The world of the characters is in fact a TV show, and the events happening to them aren't necessarily literal and probably a little bit more metaphorical. Keep that thought in mind for later on, because the, I think the show starts to make a whole lot more sense once you realize that some of the actions aren't necessarily happening. Uh, take, for instance, Duck being disemboweled and eaten alive. I think this is obviously not meant to be taken literal. I think it's obviously a hyperbolized and really exaggerated means of Duck, the character of Duck burning bridges with Roy and the uh, television production company in that they, I took this as that they're blacklisting him and that they're, you know, just eating him alive, making sure that they, he doesn't have any work. Uh, now that's, that can be a bit of a stretch, but I think it, in the context of this big business, I, uh, corrupting, the message of the of the TV show. I think this this kind of works. So again, that things aren't necessarily literal in this world. So let's get into the kind of the meat of this. Let's let's take a look at the characters of the show, but more specifically the relationship between Red Guy and Roy. Now I started kind of teasing this uh, a little bit ago, but let's let's really get into it. So Red Guy is clearly the creator and lead creative mind behind the supposed TV show while Roy acts as the uh, financial beneficiary and the producer of the show. These ideas are constantly brought up in reference, both subtly and overtly, through the series. So let's start with Roy. As previously mentioned, the show is littered with product placement for Roy's quote-unquote goods. Now, the product placement, as you all know, is a main source of easy income throughout all types of entertainment. To me, the creators of the show are insinuating that Roy is using the show as a front to advertise to children in an attempt to use an attempt to get them to use his products, kind of brainwashing them in a sense through a contrived TV show. Now, despite that Roy is trying to use the show to push his own warped agenda, there is a character who does want to create meaningful content and information and that character is red guy this is illustrated throughout the show and that red guy is really the only character to have more of an active voice and literally fight back as the show progresses these actions can be seen as red guy going with the flow as the script changes in the early episodes to suddenly saying that enough is enough and leaving the show altogether now a quick note on red guy leaving the show the literal mind explosion that red guy this represents that he finally is understanding that he doesn't need a big budget and a financial backer to create the show that he wants he can do it all on, all on his own and though although it would be cheaper and lower quality the positive message messages will still be present so this realization literally causes red guy's head to explode and it's also the final point that leads him to leave the show but to get back on track to further bring home that red guy is a creative mind behind the show let's look at that final episode where red guy 
is is in the quote-unquote real world. During this segment, we see the discovery of Red Guy by Roy. At a chance meeting at an open mic night at some random bar, Red Guy performs what is essentially a pitch in front of Roy, who sees the potential and immediately jumps on the opportunity. Immediately following the scene, we we see the beginning phases of reconciliation between Roy and Red Guy. When Red Guy is messing around with the terminal of the show, Red Guy, uh, Roy's extended arm reaches out and touches Red Guy. Now, in my research, a lot of people took this as a sign of aggression, and why wouldn't they think this? Throughout the show, Roy's been de- depicted as nothing but an intimidating villain. And he looks creepy as hell, so why wouldn't anyone think this is aggressive? But during the scene, Roy is actually offering Red Guy a way back into the show. You know, kind of a water under the bridge and let bygones be bygones. Now, although it appears as Red Guy turns away and pulls the plug on the show, the preceding scene is... Although it appears as Red Guy turns away and pulls the plug on the show, I don't really take it as him turning his back. I kind of took this as Red Guy accepting that that hand under the stipulation that they work more in tandem together. And I think this is brought home because the preceding scene is a reshoot of the first episode, where the set design is different and all the characters are their respective favorite colors. So, and this is why I think that Roy and Red Guy are actually working together collaboratively, because the set is, you know, very reminiscent of what we've been seeing throughout the show, but it's got those creative differences and... To suggest, if if Red Guy was making this show on his own with the lower quality, we wouldn't be having this this uh, higher budget. So I think that the final scene is suggesting that they're actually working together, and they're collaborating, and they have their uh, d- their differences worked out. So the final shots of the show are the calendar finally falling to reveal the never-changing day of June 19th turning to June 20th, a signal of rebirth and a new chapter in the show. These details are what imply that the ending to Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared is pretty much happy. The rewind button has been hit on the show, and they can have a fresh start to providing quality content. So, those are my thoughts on Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of the lore of the series, but I think it's something that everyone should check out and explore for themselves. So, before I get ahead of myself, let's talk final thoughts and recommendations. So my final thoughts, this was just, um, I, I can't even begin to describe how much I really enjoy the series. The superb and unique visual storytelling, the ex- excellent cinematography, the set design, the puppet design, the use of just meshing different uh, styles into one, a profound and powerful message that the filmmakers truly believe in. A fun fact about this, the reason the show took so long to make was because the filmmakers wanted to independently finance this show. They even turned down corporate funding so they could have the ultimate freedom in their show's message. Now that's just awesome. So to me, everything works, and it's just something completely different and certainly not normal. So again, I love the series. I'm so intrigued by every facet of this. So everyone listening, if you made it this far without watching, hopefully this review and brief analysis is enough to push you into watching it. So, again, I couldn't recommend this show enough, so I'm going to give Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared a 9 out of 10, and it's a must-watch for anyone who loves experimental filmmaking. And with that, this concludes this episode of Amateur Autors. Thank you guys for listening so much. We, we really appreciate the support, and any, any, any and all feedback we can get is really much appreciated. So, I just wanted to give a quick uh, shout-out to my good friend Dana Buckler. Uh, I've been on his show the last 
weeks now, just talking about Star Wars, and I think everyone that has that, that doesn't know about Dana's show, How Is This Movie Podcast, go over and give him a listen. He's got a wide array of different content, and I really appreciate him giving me a look to talk on his show, and it's been awesome doing these episodes with him. So I'm just going to give that brief plug, but again, thank you everyone for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes, and have a great night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Amateur All Tours. Cover design was created by Sarah Jacobs. You can find more of her work at her own website, Digital Adventures. The opening theme, Dreams, is composed by Joaquin Garid. This composition was found using a Creative Commons search. As a small plug, go check out both Sarah and Joaquin's work. They're really great and deserve the attention. If you want to drop us a line, which we full-heartedly support, please feel free to contact us at our email, theamateuraltourspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is one word. You can also find us at Twitter at amateuraltourspod. Once again, thank you for supporting the show. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thank you once again. Thank you.